So right now we are goofing around with Periscope. We have four live viewers. <laughs> we want the guy came back. Or we got one. Lady came we got back. a new one. We have one heart so far. No comments. No one has said anything. This is gonna be what puts us. Oh, over. hearts just blew up. Whoa! They know we're on the air now. They wanted their hearts to be broadcast on the podcast. Okay. Uh, but we're just um, we're trying this out. We noticed we had almost a hundred followers on here, which is about the same as our Facebook. Here, Don, you want to take it for a second? Sure. So um, let's talk about the podcast for a second. What we're going to do today is we're going to record an episode that is going to be for this week and next week. We're not going to do one on Thanksgiving week because it's too short of a week and it's too hard to book guests and it's not fair to ask people. Uh, so we usually don't do one. So this is kind of a swing episode. Right. We generally put them out um, lately on Wednesday or Thursday and that would it would be the least listened to podcast of the year, I'm sure. So to just do one again next week, right? Um, so this is it until December, I guess. Um, and the guests are fluid still. I think I know who the guests are going to be. Um, I think at this point the guests are going to be Jim Florentine and the Puck Daddy. I think, but we'll see about that. And there might even be a third one. And if there is a third one, I will do a update. Um, in between, we won't record another segment. We'll just do an update. Gotcha. All right. So two things I wanted to mention too, before we start the show, cause the open ended up being about Periscope yeah. and, and not about, we're breaking down the wall. Everyone knows how fat I am now. <laughs> we usually break down walls. What wall are we breaking down now? This is like the fifth wall. Yeah. I mean, if the fourth is, uh, when we do like behind the scenes talk yeah i guess it's got to be the fifth or like the ceiling or something so did i mention on the show last week that i went to fredonia was on fredonia radio no because i think it happened the okay i think it happened the day after you and i recorded our segments so unless you mentioned it in an interview which i don't see why yeah no it was super cool uh they invited me to fredonia where we both went to college i went to classes at the college Ah. i don't know what you did there yeah Um, not enough (laughs) (laughs) and uh I was on Fredonia Radio, a show called The Good, The Bad, and The Cully. Okay. Uh, and it airs every Wednesday from 12 to 1. Mm. I don't know if you can find the back issues or what their thing is with that, with the technology, what they have set up. Uh, but I wanted to thank John Cullen and SUNY Fredonia for having me back on campus. I graduated over 10 years, oh, almost 10 years ago now. Uh, and it's only like the third or fourth or fifth time I went back and just one of those things where when I got there, I was like, oh, it felt so good to just be there. It was a beautiful fall day. And as soon as I pulled in, it's like I got hard, sort of. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my God, where I'm here. Uh-huh. But I'll always love Fredonia, and it was great to be there. I mean, it's on SoundCloud. So if you did a little digging, you can probably find it. You can listen to me and John and the other kid who was on, Matt. SoundCloud has a th- 
Fredonia Radio account. Oh, okay. So maybe Fredonia Radio has a SoundCloud account, and I see like Brunch with the Beatles, and I did see one of the episodes of uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Cully. Yeah, it was I think a, he's on every Wednesday, so maybe he did one today. It was a season finale. It said only six episodes, so maybe it's a past season. Maybe they were, unless they've only done five episodes. I don't know. I don't know. Look around, and you can get at John Cullen on Twitter. I should have his Twitter, but I think it's Cully Forty One or something like that. Um, so I want to mention that. And also the Bengals cost me a lot of money. And I wanted to rant about the Bengals. But then you told me and I had heard sort of that Matthew Barry already did this because the Bengals also cost him a lot of money. Yeah, same idea. So I guess I won't vent on it too much. I still won $572 for a $10 investment. Is in that? Survivor pool. Is that you ended up splitting it, kind of hedging your bet? Well, what happened was everyone lost. So it ended. No, no, no. But you split it. With a like an investor, I had in. sold fifty percent of it. Okay, so my final take after the split was five hundred and seventy-two dollars. Oh, I gotcha. That's counting the money he counting gave you to get investment. in. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's start the podcast. It's season five, episode thirty-seven. Uh, it'll be unique because we're messing around with Periscope, which just means the audio portion is going to go down. To yeah, two, which probably mean, and. I, <laughs> It only lasts for, I guess, like 24 hours yeah. or something. Um, and a few people are watching live, so hey to the live viewers. This is the room. I can't imagine much of this is interesting, but we're hoping it is. Usually when we record the podcast, we say to ourselves, I can't imagine much of this is interesting, but we hope so. Right, so now to watch so it. So it's not much different. Without all the audio. Uh, so this is uh, November 21st-ish. We're going to put this up. We'll see who's going to be on. Uh We'll do the book club today. We'll end with one last thing. I got to talk about that metal show in my one last thing. I don't know if Don has one planned yet. Um, the yet. book club, if there's a third guest, I'll do an update. But we're going to start now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, three things today. The first thing I wanted to start with is, so it's kind of a checkpoint uh, for the year and for the season. It's a very late checkpoint. Uh, we're 37 episodes in. Oh, for our season. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. we're going to do... This one, then we're going to do a few in December, and then that's going to be it for the season. Where we're at right now in sports, the Patriots and the Panthers are the two undefeated teams in football. Mm -hmm. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Notre Dame are the four teams that would make the playoffs if college football playoffs were this weekend. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel like it's fine. I mean, it's I feel fine. like it's just silly to even do it every week because so many things happen from week to week to, okay, right. to change it that I don't I don't know how you could ever get too worked up about a hypothetical playoff that is not happening sure. today or tomorrow or any day soon. Um, Golden State is 12-0 and in the NBA. Yeah, people are already talking about the, what, 72-win Bulls? Yeah, I think they had 10 losses. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. They will probably won't be undefeated by the time we next time we do a show, um, but maybe. And the Rangers lead the NHL. They're fourteen two and two. Wow! Between now and the next time we do a show, which will probably be around the beginning of 
December. December. What do you think you'll watch? What What's on your sports calendar? It's always hockey. Um, I'm in a dynasty football league, so I suppose I'm going to have to watch a little bit of college football. I probably should have started that already, but uh, I like the Bulls and all that stuff. I mean, we won't it won't be bowl season yet, but it'll be getting down to it. Um, basketball presumably has started, <laughs> like you said. I, I'm going to take your word for it, but uh, so I probably won't be there. I don't know what else is on. I mean, this is getting to the the end of the big football. NFL, which I'll obviously be tuned into, but uh, then it's just hockey, basketball, and the end of college football. So, Bills have a big Monday night game against the Patriots. They do, yeah. The, yeah. Saints, the Saints have died a sudden and horrible death. I was gonna. I don't s- know what happened to them. I was gonna say is is the Bills are maybe on the eve of an embarrassing loss. Is that the most embarrassing? I mean, that's. I don't know. It's weird. I didn't feel that embarrassed. I just felt defeated, I guess. Yeah. Because I don't know what happened. So we win the Giants game and we're 4-4 four and four and the team is trending up. They've won, you know, three in a row or something at that point or three out of four. Yeah, and I think I told you off and there, then they were, remind me of like the Colts where they just – they're going to have to blow guys out or like just they're going to have to win races. And, and then they were winning 21-7 to seven at home against Tennessee. Right. And from that point to the end of the Redskins game, I don't think they ever stopped anyone again. And Rob Ryan got fired twice. He got fired in the morning. Then Sean Payton said, no, he's not fired. Really? And then they had to report it again later that he was fired. Not good. Um, so good riddance. Uh, he obviously was not a good defensive coordinator. Yeah, that was long overdue. And you said you almost think that uh, Payton was a little shy to fire another defensive coordinator. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the time to be shy about so. it. So that's where we're at with sports as we head into the break. Two other things. Second thing today, uh, Ronda Rousey got knocked out the other night. Yeah, bad. I stayed up and uh, I bought the pay-per-view. Hold on. Uh, I, uh, wait, how do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> I bought the pay-per-view. That, that's uh, mm-hmm. for the visual element. Yeah, I got it. The pay-per-view. And uh, I watched Ron- uh, Ronda uh, get brutally defeated. And Mike Tyson has an amazing book. Um, and if you haven't read it, you should. It's a, it's one of the best sports books ever. Uh, and the guy who helped Howard Stern write his book, bo- both of his books, uh, is the one who helped Tyson with this book. Okay. Um, and when you hear the story about how James Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson, I'm sure one day when Ronda Rousey writes her book, although I know she's already has a book, but her next one, the stories will be similar. And there'll be some kind of narrative like, listen, I was running a million miles an hour in my life. I wasn't training as hard as I, I could. Yeah, maybe. I was buying into the legend that was out there of me being a once in a... What did uh, uh, Rogan said? She's not a once in a generation athlete. She's a once in... You put it some other way, forever athlete or something. And you start to buy into all those things and you're doing so many. I mean, she became such a huge star outside UFC with movies. Movies, And like I said, she had a book and press tours and she's on Fallon. She's promoting this thing like crazy. And she's probably doing anything but training, really. Mm -hmm. You know, and you could tell when she came to the ring, um, she didn't look 
she didn't look fit to me. It sounded um, in, a lot in the Rousey sense. I didn't she, see it other than like I've seen the knockout clips because like that night on Facebook, it was the only thing you yeah, could see. Yeah, she I'm got just, to, despite demolished. how much the UFC doesn't want that. Uh, it sounds like like if the Bills got out coached in Super Bowl twenty five. It sounds like she got out whatever out coached out maneuvered her, her corner her camp got out coached. Yeah, Holly like, Holm had a great game plan. Uh, she executed perfectly, and she crushed her. Yeah, it sounded like from bell to bell. It sounds like, almost like Rousey tried to like out punch her, and, and Rousey girl got a blo- boxer. She got blown up. You could tell in the ring. She, w- you know, even after the first round, you could tell she was trying to fight for her wind. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm no expert on on fighting, uh, but to me, I just I got to imagine it's one of those things. So now here's the problem for UFC, and Vince McMahon always predicted this. He always said the problem with UFC is they're going to lose their stars and how they're going to be able to draw with their stars because their stars are going to lose fights. Well, the next fight will be Now, huge. the next fight yeah. is a freebie. Yep. You get to sell the rematch, which is maybe bigger than any fight. And if Rousey wins... And if Rousey wins and she just dominates her, you can kind of spin the narrative of almost what I said. You can go a bunch of different sure. ways. And then and, you sell the rubber match. And then you kind of get back to her invincibility, maybe. Sure. Um, if she loses that, it's completely it's done gone. for her, I think. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where you go from there. But certainly part of the mystique of Ronda Rousey got knocked out as well. And we'll see what UFC can do to rehabilitate it. The one thing I thought about that was I remember back when uh, uh, oh, our uh, makeshift stand fell down. I remember back when... I was younger and like I wouldn't get a wrestling pay per view or something. They showed it the next day, but like in stills. Like, yeah, this thing was all over Facebook. Yeah, you, like, UFC's not happening. Minutes happened. later, yeah. like UFC just, actually, I think banned mainstream media from doing vines and Instagram. Oh, like in the building. Of it. Yeah. Um, I bought the pay per view. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah so good. I was a customer. Yep. Uh, you can thank me later, Dana. Um, oh, and. I said it before, and I know that Dana White is a better promoter than me, but really the best way to sell a Ronda Rousey fight is to put it in Australia and have it go on at 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. Yeah, like the really, UFC that's fights the best are way. really late. That's a, they are, maybe the time zone difference had something to do with it, but even when they're here, like the main event is always so and late. And we're programmed that way with boxing. Yeah, but it's still weird. But to go that late? People hate baseball for that, unless they just don't think kids are watching ufc so it doesn't matter i mean but even adults by one o'clock are tired sure, right i don't know all right last thing uh jeff gordon we don't talk a lot of nascar on here but we've talked it with matt crossman okay i uh, was a good friend of the show a few times he has a chance it's his last race this week and if he wins or finishes higher than the three other remaining drivers in their playoffs it's a walk-off championship situation for Jeff Gordon. Oh, wow, that's sweet. So he can win the championship this weekend. You know what's weird about him is people either love him or absolutely hate yeah, him. Yeah, he's very NASCAR, much the, yeah. the Yankees, right? Yeah, of, uh, of sure. It. He's won four championships already, 95, 97, 98, and 2001. When did they start the championship? Then they started though? the chase oh, okay. around 2004. Okay. Now, he, had, he would have won the championship on points, Three other times, 2004, 7, and 14. Okay. Uh, but didn't because of the chase rules. Uh, so now in a, in a year where he hasn't had his best season, he, might win he can have a chance. Now his crew has pointed out that in the 10 races of the chase, uh, by points, he would be number one. 
um, so far. Okay. Uh, so it's down to him and three other drivers. I think uh, Mark- isn't a lot of the points. Isn't it criticized a little bit because a lot of it's just about finishing, like not wrecking. You know, there's so many ways that this sport has crafted the points and yeah, all should, the other things. I, I shouldn't mean, pretend to know. You know, someone that knows it will think I'm. An Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex Jr. are the three other people, and it's it's cool idea that in the last race, whoever finishes furthest ahead in the pack. Uh, wins the championship. That's it's as simple yeah. as that. I mean, you'll be going for it. Like, yeah, you can't so just you, sit back or anything. You race to win. Safe, right? Um, so good luck to Jeff Gordon. I tend to have thought he's good for NASCAR. I think he brought a new audience to them in his career. He looked a lot different than years. Very recognizable to drivers for, looking, even for people that don't watch. He's it. definitely one of the biggest uh, drivers in the history of the sport, and I will be cheering. For him, and if he pulls it off, I'd imagine in that show after the break, we'll be talking to Matt Crossman. Yeah. Or someone from NASCAR to try to put it in historical perspective for everyone. All right. That is it for three things. One last time, uh, we are going to take a break. I kind of showed the Periscopers that Jim Florentine emailed me while we were recording this to say, let's record on Friday. So I know for sure that Jim Florentine will be one of the guests on the show. And so do the people watching on Periscope. Uh, Also, we'll have another guest, but probably Florentine will be first. So we'll take a break. We'll come back with Jim Florentine. Then we'll do the book club. Then I think we'll do Puck Daddy. We'll see. If we have a third interview this week, I'll do an update. And we're going to end the show with one last thing. All right, our next guest is from New Jersey. He's a stand-up comedian, actor, and co-host of VH1 Classics, that metal show. He's also the host of a podcast called Jim Florentine's Comedy Metal Midgets. And with his bud Don Jameson, he's ready to release the sixth in a series of CDs called Terrorizing Telemarketers. He's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jim Florentine. How you doing today, Jim? I love that Allison Chain song you're playing. That's one of my favorite albums, Strong Flies. Oh, it's it's uh, one of those things you can just put on at night, and then you just wake up the next day and it ended, the CD. You know? Yeah. I've fallen asleep to that CD probably 2,000 times since I was oh, it's, 15 it's years old. It's, the best. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable, every every song on there. You know, we're doing your CD and, and this thing that we created for the show called The Book Club, and over the summer, uh, we did a book by a guy named... David DeSola, and it's called Allison Chains, The Untold Story. And, man, it's really good. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it or have heard anything about it, but I just – I picked it up and just went into Allison Chains' world for, like, three weeks. And it, it's really good. He didn't get as much cooperation uh, from the band and, and stuff as maybe he might have hoped. And, and I told him I, I think that one day they might – they might regret that. I mean, it's always hard to decide where you're going to tell your story, I'm sure, especially if you have one that uh, you'd want to tell. But I think maybe they might look at that someday and think, ah, oh, that might have been a good place. But it's a great book if you ever have a chance to check it out. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah. Where do you think about books and documentaries especially have been really uh, picking up a lot of steam? Like even Quiet Riot can turn a documentary – I think it was a Quiet Riot documentary that blew up on Showtime this year. It was Quiet Riot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Uh, you you enjoying the the way that this trend is picked up? The books and the documentaries about the bands that we've spent so much time uh, listening to uh, on CD players or records. Yeah, or whatever. because it, I think it's feel you know people can't steal that stuff, so they have to buy it, whether the book or the documentary or you know it's on Showtime or you know you have to get it on Amazon or something like that. It's something that they you know the bands can make a little money on too, which you know is everybody stealing everything else, unfortunately. Right, and obviously that's an issue with the CD. And you got a new one coming out called Terrorizing Telemarketers, and I think it's the first one you've done in six years. Is that the right term? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, was it that you guys just got sidetracked doing other things or that at the time you felt like you'd done enough and now the time felt right? Or why now after six years to get back into it again? Yeah, I think it was a little of both. I think, uh, yeah, we got busy doing that metal show and, you know, just doing stuff. Yeah, we got to a point where, like, we put out five in, like, seven years or eight years. And, like, all right, that's, a, you know, we're kind of out of ideas, you know. Right. I think we're done for a little while. We weren't sure if we were going to do another one. And then, you know, you do have to have a lot of time, free time on your hand to do stuff like that because you have to wait for telemarketers to call your house. So, you know, um, you know, we both got busy with our lives, and then all of a sudden we both had both both our relationships break up pretty much at the same time crumble. So we're like, Hey, you know what? And I'm sitting in my house by myself. You're sitting in your place by yourself. Let's do some calls. We've got nothing else going on. Huh? Now so I want to, th- I want to thank our exes for, uh, <laughs> uh, for, uh, for ruining our lives. And, uh, you know, so we could put out an OCD creating this opportunity. Uh, yeah. What about, how does the legalities of it work? Can you tear down the wall a little bit? Like, if they call you, does that kind of make it free game, or do you have to get releases, or how does that? Yeah, I mean, technically, well, technically, if they're calling you, if they didn't come and call, you're pretty much safe as long as you, uh, you know, be about the company's name and stuff because they're calling your house. If it's an outgoing call, you have to get permission 100. percent But okay, you know, we got we got in touch with them and stuff, and, they're, and they're, you know, most people are okay with it. They don't care. <laughs> I was listening to the single and. uh just you guys, uh, you can find the single all over the place. And actually, around the time, December 4th, I think, is the release date. And you guys are going to be streaming it on the, in places and, and download and selling them at shows and stuff like that. We'll get into all of that, uh, all the plugs and where and what to find it. But um, I was listening to the single and this poor guy, you guys were playing ping pong with him pretty much. And is that kind of the goal to kind of put a guy in between you guys and just kind of smack him back and forth? Of course. Anyway, we could torture them, yeah. That's, you know, that's pretty much every track. We're just two of us on there, just, you know, just playing games with the other person on the phone. And they don't realize the best of what the which is which the best. What did you find out six years later about the state of releasing something like this? How how has it changed? Like, how does monetizing like something like this change from when you did it six years ago? I got to think it's a, just a drastically different landscape. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, people still like a physical copy. Yeah. You know, like, so it shows and stuff. You always have them with you. People want it signed and all that stuff, you know, still. So, or you can get the streaming thing, which makes it a lot easier before, you know, we're releasing some back in like 2003, four or five, that'd be shipped out if people wanted them through a website, through all the stuff that was a pain. You know, now people just download it, you know. You know, really easily, you know, or just right on their computer and listen to it right on their phone or wherever. So it's easier in that sense. But then also, you know, people could just take it and 
listen to shit for free, but well, at this point, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? You just wanted to put it out, and that people are going to do that no matter what. So, Yeah, I think for me, streaming is the first thing that has, at times, stopped me from getting a physical copy. Because I love, like you said, the CD, and for my top bands, I mean, there's there's no way, like, like I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy, there's no way they're going to put out an album, and I wouldn't want to buy the CD, especially since they're a band that does put a lot of time into the art, into the thought of packaging the albums and things like that. I know some bands now have decided it's not worth their time quite as much because they know that people aren't picking it up. Uh, But the streaming, sometimes it is hard when that Tuesday comes and it's like, all right, I should go to Best Buy or wherever and get... Like Soundgarden put out a 20th, like a great kind of expanded version of Super Unknown last year. And I was so pumped to buy it that day. And like before I left, I looked, and the most expensive version of it was streaming on Spotify. And I was a Spotify subscriber, which means you know I can on my phone, I can listen to it in the car, home. And I just, I just didn't go. I was just like, ah, this, this is, this is great. So it's the first thing that stopped me a few times from getting the physical thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, some people do like the physical thing. Other people don't care. So it's what you know. It, Either or, it makes it easier when people just want to go download it. Ten bucks, it goes right in their iTunes or whatever. So, we don't have to go. They don't have to drive to a store and they don't have to go. You know, get a physical copy or don't want a physical copy. So, yeah, I think you were talking on the last podcast about your son really enjoying when you guys are listening to the records together, just enjoying the the huge art and looking at it that way. And I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the next generation, uh, someone picking up to still loving that idea, and I think I think you kind of joke that it's like the one thing you're willing to tip your hat to hipsters for, uh, kind of re- re- revising the record. And uh, yeah, no, he loves looking at all the guys in the band and how many guys in the cover and all that stuff. No, you know, it, it's cool for him. Mm-hmm. It's a big physical thing that he could, you know, you know, his kids they're, they want to look at, you know, action figures, whatever it is, superheroes, that kind of stuff, magazines with. He loves looking at the rock magazines that I get too. We just look at the pictures. Oh, this band, look at this band, who's this band, stuff like that. So that's so great for him. That, you know, he's totally in the music. If you're not, a kid's not going to give a crap, but he, he actually likes the music, so he likes looking at the artwork. I went to the show, uh, the, the that metal show is in Buffalo, and I went uh, and checked it out. And I've always been a fan of that metal show on TV and never had a chance to get to one of the live shows. was really excited to check it out. And your stand-up, man, I was kind of taken back a little bit because um, since everything went down in your personal life, I've heard you a few in a few different uh, venues, uh, Opie and Jimmy, I think a couple times, and just seemed like you kind of really shied away from talking about it too much. And then um, on the podcast, really didn't hit it that much. If I maybe one time, I don't know. And man, you just hit us with it, and you went hard and. You have so much raw, really like strong material about it. Like, was it just a matter of like getting past the legal ease of it that allowed you to open up and have all this great raw material about it, or was it something different that caused a shift? Or am I just misreading it because I don't know you and I'm trying to read a personal thing? No, I just think it, would, it took time to actually get it out. You know, when you go through some stuff, it's. Uh... You know, you have to try to find a funny in it, and you know, and it takes a long time to find it if it's something so personal like that. 
a message comes to you, you don't know when, but, uh, and then it just started, you know, the floodgates open and I just started talking about it basically. Did you always know that point would come or did it? You're hoping for it. Yeah. You just don't know, you know, cause you don't know how you can make it funny or amusing or, you know, mold it into, into material. You know, you don't know if it's going to work or not. It and works. That's, that's what I love about the process uh-huh. of trying to do that. You know what I mean? And trying to make it work. It's a challenge every night, and I love it. Yeah, I think the material is just really coming together good. Uh, you know, I, one thing I really related well to was you were talking about um, being a Dolphins fan and being from New Jersey and people always wanting to know why. And I've been a Saints fan since I was seven years old in Buffalo. Uh, so I get harassed with that constantly, um, that same question. I wish I had a hilarious thing like a – toy uh dolphin uh, <laughs> to be able to riff on uh but i just really related to that and um uh that really that really cracked me up and i want to ask you a little bit about the dolphins probably should just do it right now man they're one of the one of the teams i'm most disappointed with this year um i try to love the bills for my friends and family in a sense like i try to Look, when the Saints won the Super Bowl, it's like a, a unique joy, and I want my friends and the people I love that love the Bills to be able to feel that one day. But it's really hard for me to cheer for the Bills just because of the adversational relationship you get with fans uh, that you don't love when you go to the games when they come here or whatever. But I was hoping for the Dolphins to be a really good team, and I don't know what 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 what, what is, as a fan, as someone who follows them better than I do, uh, there was such a great buzz about Tannehill and and his rise and the team in general with the signing of Sue and taking the next step and instead um you know it's a coaching change and things like that what do you think as a fan no I knew I knew I like I was going you know everyone was saying oh they're gonna be good this year they're gonna be a lot better watch out for them I knew from the beginning they weren't I was telling everyone like you're crazy man don't be so negative about your team you had the worst coach in football coaching the team going into the following year. The guy, you know, they tanked the last three seasons, the last, you know, three, four games of the year. They get blown out. And, and you know, the owner, you know, of the Dolphins is just, you know, he, he, he's completely clueless. He doesn't live in Miami. He, he lives in New, York, in New York City. He's not even around the team. He has no idea what's going on. He gives the guy a contract extension after they get blown out last year and they'll miss make the playoffs for three years in a row. And I'm going, I'm going, you got the same guy here. He's not going to change. And then you get Dominic Sue. A defensive tackle is not going to win you three or four more games. You needed six players on that team, not one. So you, you signed Sue for $114 million. You got no money to pay anyone else. And you still got five holes to fill. And you got a shitty coach. So going into the season, you're not going to be good. It doesn't matter that you got one defensive tackle. And Tannehill's, you know, he can't complete a long pass. He's doing better this year. You know, he, he checks down, he throws like seven yard passes constantly. So, it's, you know, everyone goes by quarterback ratings. Oh, the last three years, his quarterback rating is better and better. But that doesn't matter. He can't, right. you know, he's not a good fourth quarter quarterback. He doesn't have good pocket awareness. I like the guy. I root for him, but he's just not, he's not great. He's always going to be inconsistent. It's not going to be better in his fourth year. He's going to be the same guy he was in his third and his second year. So yeah. that's all it is in a nutshell. Do you have a little hope in his development in the sense that? Compared to almost every other quarterback in the league, he really hasn't been a quarterback that long. That there are no, a lot of quarterback. He's been a quarterback long enough. This is six <laughs> or seven years. Either he has it or he doesn't. He's just he's going to be a step below Joe Flacco. 
You know, unless you have an amazing team around him, you're not going to win a Super Bowl with him. But there's no other options out there, so you have to keep him. He's not a disaster, and he shouldn't be benched. Right, right. He's just a, a he's just a above average quarterback in the NFL. Well, yeah, and you talked about how short his passes go. I mean, you got a guy like Jarvis Landry who just gets fed and fed and fed, but those passes never seem to travel more than three or four or five yards down the field. And he, he's made. I think Landry's made more plays with the ball in his hands uh, after than he did last year in his development as a player. And I thought uh, watching Stills' development uh, as uh, through OU, through the Saints, I've watched a lot of Kenny Stills over the years, and I thought he might be able to stretch a little bit, but he doesn't seem like he's really fit in that well. No, they use Jarvis Landry as a slot receiver pretty much. Right. So which is fine, but they had Mike Wallace last year. You got Mike Wallace who throw the ball deep, and then Tannehill can't get it to him. And then you get rid of Wallace, and you get Kenny Stills in there. He, he's he's actually completed some long ones this year, Tannehill. I'll give him credit on that. I'm, I, I hate to bag on the guy because I like him. I root for him. He's a good dude. But, you know, he's just going to be – he's never going to be an elite quarterback. He's never going to be, you know, a, a, an Aaron Rodgers, Brady – or, or even a Tony Romo or something like that, or a Flacco. He's going to be like a notch below Flacco, like a Matt Ryan, you know, uh, you know, quarterback, that type. Yeah, you mentioned, Sue, when he come, when a guy like that, a polarizing guy, uh, kind of a guy who is a bit of a heel in a way, his persona is, is very, very heelish, bad guy sort of. Uh, do you like a guy like that on your team? When, when, when you see that signing, is that something you're like, okay, I, I want to – I like that that guy's on our team now. If he stomps a guy now and again, you know, it's football, or is it kind of more like a turnoff? That guy is, is someone you'd rather with someone else? I, no, I got no problem with you. Look, I, I, you know, as a, as a Samson Giant fan of baseball, you know, when you get Barry Bonds on your team, right. you go, you know, heel I, of heels. I like him. He's on my yeah. team. I like him. It was like when Deion Sanders would switch teams every year. You hated him, but if he came to your team, you go, all right, he's on my team. I like him. So I had no problem with you. The problem was the coach, Philbin, that they had before they fired him. Anyone that was outspoken or talked to the press or said anything negative or did whatever, he would get rid of. Reggie Bush, Carlos Dansby, or Mike Wallace. You know, good, good players that went on and had good careers afterwards. And he would just get rid of these guys. So, like, why are you getting sued? You sign him a, you know, a, a six-year deal, $60 million guaranteed, and this guy's going to shoot his mouth off or do whatever, even though he hasn't done anything yet. Right. You know, as far as being mm-hmm. a problem, you know, what are you going to do with a coach? You can't get rid of him either. So, um, I don't mind Sue. And, you know, everyone's giving Sue crap. They're like, oh, oh I can't believe it. He, uh, you know, he had one tackle the first game. So what? You know what I mean? He's getting double team and triple team. Last week, last week he played, played a great game. He's going to be fine. I got no problem with him. It's just that you got an owner there that just wants to put a star on a team. So ESPN talks about the Dolphins and, and Sue. And everybody in, in Miami can wear Sioux jerseys for the next five years, and that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about winning. Right. That's such a great point about the double and the triple teams that he draws, too. just frees up uh, for guys like Cameron Wake, who I know is injured now or whatever. It makes it a lot easier for them. You can't triple team everyone, uh, and it just makes better matchups. And it, it turns sort of average players into better players, too, because they have a much, yeah, exactly. much easier job. Um, but Sue's not a guy that's going to – the defensive tackle doesn't have 22 sacks a year, so I don't know what people are expecting, you know, and everyone's right. over at him. He's doing a good – he'll be fine. But, you know, when you got an owner, like I said, that just wants a star player on a team so he can sell jerseys, 
and doesn't give a shit. You know, that's the problem with these NFL owners now. They don't, they make so much money whether they win or lose that they don't give a shit. There's so much money in that TV revenue coming, coming in for every team to split up 32 ways. They don't give, you know what I mean? Like, so what? Like when, even when, you know, Ralph Wilson with the, with the bills when he was on, it's giving away a, a game to Toronto. Why? So you could put a little extra cash in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you give away a home game like that in Buffalo where it's a huge advantage? It's cold weather. I remember when Miami played Buffalo in like December, like four years ago, it, the game was in Toronto and, and Miami blew them out. Miami could never beat the bills in Buffalo, but it was in a dome where there's no wind. There's no friggin' it wasn't cold. So he basically just gave that game away. And same with the Dolphin owner gave away the Dolphin Jet game this year, a home game against a division rival to England. And the Jets beat them. So that, that, that's just owners that don't give a shit. You know, Goodell calls these guys up and goes, hey, I, if you give a game to uh, Toronto, I could put an extra 300000 in your pocket. I'll take it. Okay, done. And that's it. Yeah, and it's amazing sometimes when you think about how rich these guys are that they can be swayed sometimes by, in the grand scheme of things, kind of small deals. Like, like I, I can't imagine that the Jaguars really make that much money off of wearing that hideous uniform last night, but I guess it's enough for an owner, another kind of transplanted owner, too. Um, I know he doesn't. I don't think that guy lives in Jacksonville. I doubt. No, it. no. Yeah. He, you know, he wants to move the team to London, <laughs> yeah. to L.A. I know it's a joke. Yeah. The whole NFL is a joke. It's just they all, all these the NFL just holds these team, these these cities, these little cities for ransom. You better build us a new stadium. We're leaving, and then he's and then they have to buy and build them a new stadium. We're going to go to L.A. They've been saying that for freaking twenty years. Right. So then, you know, Minnesota has to build a new stadium, and then either San Diego to Raiders or St. Louis, Louis got to build a stadium. Because it's just the owners go watch. We'll get you know more skyboxes and you know so all the taxpayers got to pay for a friggin' a venue that has ten games a year, eight regular season and two preseason, which they'll probably give a game or two away to London anyway. <laughs> the uh, I was thinking about a hundred years ago. You know, the probably the three biggest sports in the country were like horse racing, boxing, and baseball, and. You know, I don't think about 100 years ago that often and why something changes. But do you think there's a tipping point for the NFL? Do you think that all these things that you've raged about over the years, that fans have raged about, do you think at some point they can just pile up enough that there's a tipping point and the league starts seeing a downward trend instead of this seemingly upward trend that, I mean, my whole lifetime, it's been a league that's just trended up and up and up to bigger heights, it seems like. Yes, that's, that that time will come. Yeah. You know, everything has its cycles and stuff like that. And people are just getting, you know, the fantasy football is keeping, keeping the ratings high and all that stuff. And people are still interested, obviously. But, the, you know, you look at Sunday's games. I'm look, I was looking at the schedule before. And, you know, out of the 16 or the 14 games with a couple teams off, there's like three good games. And the rest are shit games. The league is watered down. And... People getting tired of the Thursday nights, the Sunday morning at 9.30 now with these goofy London games and nobody gives a shit about these bad games. Mm-hmm. The awful Thursday night games, you know, and then you got Sunday night, then you got Monday night. It's oversaturated. There's too much shit going on. And people just, no, I, I don't know one person that watches the NFL likes those Thursday night games. Oh, the football is such shit. 
That's the biggest problem. It's like watching a preseason game. Yeah, these teams are not – it's too quick. The turnaround is too quick. Yeah, you you have to get players. And you you watch how many more guys get hurt on Thursday in those games than they do on a Sunday. They don't have time to recover. And they're just going through the motions. Guys are playing in half strength because they're hurt. But they want to play. They know they got 10 days off after that, so they want to play. You know, and figure they got 10 days to rest after. It's, It's a joke. And yeah. it's all because of money. And then, you know, they, they, they stream that Buffalo-Jackson-Jaguar game on Yahoo.com. Which is kind of a so bust. So anyone with the NFL yeah. ticket, anyone with the Sunday ticket that's a Buffalo fan that didn't live in Buffalo or Jacksonville is a fan, couldn't watch that game unless they watched it on their computer, which is a joke. You're paying all that money for fucking the NFL ticket. That's and a lot, yeah. only and, the, and the NFL got $20 million for that deal. Man, which is nothing yeah, when you divide Yahoo, go, Yahoo yeah. goes, look, we're going to give you $20 million if you let us have that one game. So Roger Goodell goes to the 32 owners, hey, let's give this shit game to Yahoo.com so they can stream it on there, and we're going to divide $20 million by 32 owners. So that's, I don't know, $750,000 in your pocket. You guys in? Absolutely. All right, done. That's how exactly how it goes down. Right, and for the Buffalo and and Jacksonville owners, they're like, "Well, we know our fans will get to watch it anyway, for the most part." And for the other thirty owners, they're like, "Well, we don't give a shit about Jacksonville Buffalo game, so yeah, why not?" Absolutely. But if you're going to push fantasy football and all this bullshit and do all of that, and you want people to watch the games and stuff like that, don't you know? And then you just put it online exclusively, just so you could put you know money in your pocket. That's all it's about, obviously. Right. They don't give a shit about that. If they if they gave a shit about all fans. They let them watch that game on regular TV, too, but they don't. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, we're talking to Jim Florentine uh, from that metal show. I only have a couple minutes. Sure, yeah. Call. Yeah, Sorry he's at, that. no, it's, it's, it's fine. It's closing up. Uh, he's at Mr. Jim Florentine uh, on Twitter. Uh, that metal show is going to be back um, in this area, uh, in Rochester, on Saturday, January 2nd, 2016 at uh, the Montage Music Hall. Tickets are 20 bucks. You can do a meet and greet for 40 more. Uh, his CD, Terrorizing Telemarkers with Don, Don Jameson, is going to be out on December 4th. You can buy it at the gigs or you can listen um, to it on I- iTunes or you can stream it on the streaming sites. And we're going to talk, hopefully, uh, to Don some point in a couple weeks, kind of bookend this. Um, and once the CD's out, we've had a chance to listen to it. We can talk to Oh, him you know what? I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to rush you. I, actually, I don't. I got, a, I got about 15 more minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, let me. There's uh, another thing, man. Let me let me ask you this. Um, I went to the show. You played Helium Club here like a year ago, uh, and I went to the show um, last week. And I was I was thinking about if if someone's a fan of you and they listen to your podcast and and listen to your rage. And um, last time we had you on. Um, so like at the beginning, I kind of I'm like a big radio guy, and I wanted to talk to you about radio, and it kind of I just couldn't get it anywhere. It's kind of it just kind of went flat, and then we started talking about football, like we just did, and like we really hit our stride, and I thought we finished really strong, and and it put me in a place where I thought, okay, he didn't hang up thinking that was totally brutal. Where if we would have ended after the radio stuff, I would have cried or something over here. I would have thought it was such a bust. Um, but I kind of giggled about it and thought, you know what? I kind of think Jim Florentine. Uh, for his fans is maybe a little bit like uh, Neil Peart is for a Rush fan where you have such – you love the work. You have such respect for the work. But maybe you want to keep a little distance because you don't want to blow it with them. 
because like I was, yeah, I was listening to you at, at the show talk about how people uh, ask you where you're from from New Jersey and you can't understand why people would ever want to know that. And right. for some reason, I'm fascinated with the towns in the states of Texas and New Jersey. I have no idea. I think Texas is because of high school football, and I've heard of all these little towns, so I'm curious about them. And I think, and I would have been the one to go up to you and say, "Oh, so New Jersey? This you from Flanders? Is you near that or something stupid?" And um, I think the that you built this really great persona that makes me a little bit scared to get too close. What do you think about that? What if I if, if I did? Well, you know. It's either a rant or not. I'm just, you know, I answer the questions that just happened on the radio this morning when I was doing it for this other show. They said, uh, how's that happen? You're a Dolphin fan. Jersey, how'd that happen? <laughs> you know, so you like, ah, just, you know, like a little kid, you know, whatever. So you just answer it. It's just, you know, it gets to the point like, okay, I'm out. But I don't know. I just don't find it that interesting. Right. I think the comic, you pick up on that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. That's it, what we're supposed to do is pick up on like that. Look, yeah, and be like, oh yeah, you know, I never thought about that. Right, and I love the rage and the hate. Like when I talk to my brothers or something like about your stuff, I'm like, oh, I, I relate so much to this comedian because he hates stuff like I hate stuff, and he makes it okay. And you always talk about how people love the podcast because uh, they like to rage with you a little bit. But then you, uh, part of me, maybe I'm just a neurotic. I don't know. Part of me is like, I don't want to end up on the wrong side of the rage. I don't want to oh, put, yeah. I don't want to put Jim through something that I might not know infuriates him. And I, and the New Jersey example made me laugh at the show because it's just I'm like, oh man, I would have totally been that guy bugging him about New Jersey because for some reason I'm fascinated how like a lot of people from New Jersey are from like the New York part of it, but then other people are from the Philly part of it, and so I don't know why. It's stupid. Uh, I know, but. So I would have blown that. You see what I mean? Maybe more that time around. No, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, yeah. You just pick out. I believe me, I get that now. You know. Yeah, I'm dating now. It's like, oh, you might gonna be in your act. Oh my god, I heard what you <laughs> said. Like, oh yeah, I don't know what to. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Last thing. Um, probably we should have stuck to football. <laughs> I, I no, should... it's all good, man. No, no. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, we can talk about whatever. That's what you do with these things. Yeah, no, I know. It's no, not... I just, you know, something, look, as a comic, you're just trying to, always trying to find, for me, I'm always trying to find an angle to try to make something I can bring on the stage or my podcast, you know, like if, it, if it's worthy of it. And so, so I got, you know, new stuff to talk about. So that's what you do. Like, that's why you comics go out and they experience different things. And they try different things. They go, you know what? I know fucking, I don't know, hiking or whatever it is. You know, let's maybe I can come up with something. Maybe I can get, have a routine not to go just because of that, but just to experience more things. And it's more stuff to, to write about and to talk about. Has the podcast helped you kind of develop those things? Like when you do these mini uh, rage podcasts, is that like a way of experimenting with certain things and seeing where yeah, it might go? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Sometimes, you know, you try to do it on stage and it just comes off way too angry. You know what I mean? It's different from a, a podcast someone listening to being in a comedy club. You're like, oh my God, all right, relax. <laughs> so you have to calm it down a little. You know, but um, no, I, I love doing a podcast. It's, it's good. People really like it. People really like the man, I can feel your rage, and I have the same rage, too, when it gets me through the day. It, it gets me through Monday mornings when I'm driving to work or listening at work, so thanks. You know, feel like that, that's always good to hear. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking about uh, material, I was really surprised. It seems like comedians don't really like watching 
other comedians that much. I was listening to Opie and Jimmy yesterday for a little bit, and they were playing. I think what it was. I don't know if maybe you heard this. They're, they're, it was Opie, Jimmy, and another comedian in the room. I don't remember who the guy was yesterday. And they were watching something, uh, this piece of stand-up. And like at one point, Jimmy was like, oh, I just can't listen to comedians. And I, I just thought there was an irony. Is it the, is it the relentlessness of the process and how much work uh, goes into just getting that 60 minutes that makes it hard to sit down with other comedy? Or is that maybe just more of a personal thing before between comedians and maybe something that you don't feel? I think it's more of um, a comedian. You know, some people just don't. Other, some comics like to watch other comics and what they're doing, and others have no interest. Most of the time, I have no interest what anyone else is doing. It's not an ego thing or anything. I'm like, I just got to focus on my own set mm-hmm. and my own thing. Like, I never wanted to, like, you know, there's a lot of certain guys I'll, I'll want to go watch. When they're doing a show like in New York City, I'm like, I got to let like a Nick Apollo or something. I'm like, I got to watch Nick. I love watching Nick on stage. So there are some guys, but most of the time, I'm not, I'm not really interested. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's not coming from an ego standpoint or anything. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got my own shit I got to worry about and, and do. So I don't, I don't know. I can't consume myself with that. And if sometimes if you watch someone before you go on, you judge the crowd, and then you start, you know questioning yourself should i do these jokes should i do this because the crowd's not laughing at him and also so sometimes it's better not to even watch right you don't know what went on before because you don't want to put that in your head going into the set like oh man they don't like dirty material because that guy just did two dirty jokes and they groaned but maybe they just didn't like that guy or maybe his jokes weren't that funny so you know so i try not to i try most of the time i try not to watch guys before me like i'm Hey man, go do the best set you can. That's great, but uh, you know, I'm looking at my notes. I'm just trying to get my set together and just remember some new shit. I'm trying to work on where I'm going to put it and all that stuff. So, yeah, you know, like I love radio and I love I love sports radio. I don't love it on terrestrial radio as much. Seems like there's just too many stops and starts. Um, and I love listening to sports podcasts. But when we do, since we've been doing since I've been doing my own, sometimes I distance myself from them. And this is such a small scale, I know, but. I have this subconscious that I'm going to adapt opinions or say things I heard, steal stuff from other people. And I got to think that when you're working on stuff from comedy, you got to wonder like, oh, is this a bit I heard somewhere that I thought was funny and, and, I, and it's coming out? And that's got to be a constant kind of struggle in a way when you're working on material. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, like I was saying before, I love the process of coming up with it, moving jokes around, listening back, saying, all right, this didn't work. This should work. I don't know. To me, that's that, that's the best. And you, when you're trying to just structure stuff and then you do it up on stage and it works great, that's part of your act now. There's not, there's not a better feeling. Are those that metal show shows a really great way to work out your stuff? Because you're doing a shorter set, and also Don was on before you, and you know that you guys are going to really lighten the mood after and kind of break down the wall a bit and answer questions and do the stuff, the trunk gag and all that. Is that a really low-pressure sort of set where you can really work on things and and and, and try different stuff or no? No, I, no, the metal shows for me don't. You know, I, I do, you know, bit, I'd rather do one in a comedy club. Okay. The metal show I do, you know, right. even though I'm, so th- those sets I do a short set, I'd rather do an hour in a comedy club where I can really work it out. So those I'm almost doing like, you know, it's not good for me per- to, to get the next level on my act unless I want to do just like metal jokes and stuff like that. And I, I don't really do too much of that stuff. 
Got it. All right. Well, I want to give Jim some time after this before he does his next one. So I just wanted to one more time. It's at Mr. Jim Florentine on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there. He uses that as a great, great links to some funny shit. And also you can follow gigs and things like that. Uh, Jim Uh There's tour dates. Uh, he's going to be uh, in New Jersey, uh, Connecticut and New Haven. I've spent a lot of time there the last four years. Uh, my brother's a hockey player at Yale, was a hockey player at Yale, graduated. Uh, love New Haven. He's going to be at Sports Haven there in December. Uh, also Pennsylvania. All the dates are on JimForentine.com. And also, uh, that mental show is coming back to Western New York again. Hopefully, there's no shows in Buffalo that night. Um, so yeah. That, yeah. Right. Uh, it's January 2nd uh, at the Montage Music Hall. And the main purpose, of course, Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6, uh, with Don Jameson. Will be out in December, and you can buy the CD at the shows of the comedians, uh, or you can listen to it on iTunes, uh, download it there, or stream it on Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Jim? No, that's it, man. All right, I well, appreciate thanks, it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for doing this again, and uh, thanks for putting up with the non-sports stuff. I know it seems like sometimes we riff a little bit better uh, when we're talking about that, but this other stuff is. Uh, I'm curious to pick your brain on a little bit, so thanks for giving me some time to do that as well. No, it's all good, man. Look, you know, you talk about whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we riffed on one and we didn't riff on the other. It's just, you know, you're just talking. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for uh, talking for a third time. It's it's three more than I ever would have uh, uh, thought, and I appreciate that. Cool. No problem, man. All right, I want to thank Jim Florentine for being on the podcast today. That's three for Jim Florentine. Yeah, Not that's bad. sweet. Yeah. It's three more than I ever would have dreamed he would have done. Sure. He started this thing. Um, book club update. Uh, we kind of talked about it in that interview there, but a really cool thing. For the first time in the book club, we're featuring a CD. Yeah. Uh, for years, Jim Florentine and Don Jameson have made these CDs called Terrorizing Telemarketers. Right. And uh, Volume 6 is their first one in seven years. And it's available digitally on December 4th. Uh, and it's available in CD at the comics gigs, including a newly scheduled That Metal Show gig in Rochester, New York, on January 3rd, 2016. And if you listen to my one last thing today, I'll talk about the most recent That Metal Show gig that was in Buffalo. Right. So... It's only the second. This is the first CD we've ever done. Yeah, we've, first CD, only the second non-book. I guess the documentary. Right, that's the only one I can think is of. Is that the only other non-book that we've done? Yeah, off the top of my head, it's the only one I can yeah, think of. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and then we have documentaries in the future, right? The Console Wars documentary we know will be a book club book of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait for that. But yeah, Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6. You can actually listen to the first single. It's out there now. I listened to it. It's pretty funny. Uh, Jim and Don are messing with this loan guy. And they're trying to reconsolidate a loan. But Jim is saying he knows the information. And Don is saying he doesn't. And they don't want the guy to waste time by saying what Don knows. But they do want him to say what Jim doesn't. Okay. (laughs) So they got this guy like in this weird limbo. And then... He'll say something, and one of them will cut him off, and he'll be like, they'll be like, oh, I know that already. <laughs> and uh, the guy eventually hangs up. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear from Jim about how 
mechanics of that with the legalities and all that. And, um, and then the other thing in the book club this month. Oh, and by the way, the other thing is, yeah, we just talked to Jim Florentine, but we're going to bookend it with the first appearance of Don Jameson sometime before the end of the season. So that would be sweet. Yeah, so this will be part of the book club for the next few weeks. We just had Jim Florentine, and soon we'll have Don Jameson. And again, it's Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6. Also, don't forget, take your eye off the puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look. Uh, And that is written by Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy, who maybe is the next voice you hear besides mine. (laughs) Right. Uh, So a big, big book club episode. For the boys and girls here today. It is, yeah. I think. Maybe. It's fluid. Hopefully. Fluid situation, yep. All right, we will be right back with the next guest. All right, our next guest is from Matawan, New Jersey, and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He is the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo and the co-host of the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast. He's also the author of a new book called Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look. Uh, he's making his 12th appearance on the podcast today. A Warren Sportscasters, welcome to the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. What's up, bud? Everything you've just said is true. So All true. I can't argue with it. I can't argue with any of it. One time, I did, if you recall, say you were from New York by mistake, and you did have to argue with it. Yeah, and I mean, even then, it's like I mean, I live in New York. My dad is from Queen, from from Brooklyn, actually, originally. So, like, you know, there's there's some New York inherent in me. So that's it's not as if you said I was from, you know, Cheyenne, Wyoming, or something. That would be a huge error on my part. <laughs> if I was reading this, it was like, he's from Cheyenne, uh, Wyoming. I would have been way off. Uh, of course, we're going to talk uh, hockey for a few minutes because you're on. But uh, the main purpose of the journey today is to promote uh, the book, Take Care Off the Puck, which uh, we've been promoting in the book club. And uh, I have a funny kind of a funny story for you uh when the book came uh and i was kind of looking at it and and kind of looking at it through my first thought was oh is this like a hockey for dummies type of a thing and like this is like me like literally like having it in my hand like flipping the pages through like it's animation you know so i'm not really getting much out of it at this point <laughs> and i'm like i wonder if this is sort of geared more towards someone like uh, my wife or something like that. So I did an experiment, and I get, I handed it to her and said, read a couple uh, chapters out of this book uh, and let me know what you think. I said, just pick any couple out and then come tell me. So she read a couple chapters, and she came out, and she's like, I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm like, you didn't learn anything about hockey. Now she's a good, she's been a good hockey sister-in-law, you know, watch my brother through his career at Yale. And uh, I mean, all of his game, I mean, she's not completely hockey ignorant. Um, and we've had uh, Sabres season tickets, um, but it was over her head. So I was like, Oh, okay, great. Give it to me and get out. 
and then I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I grabbed it and read it and finished it and found out it was something completely different uh, than I thought. So tell me about how you were able to write a book uh, that's essentially about the how-tos and how-nots of hockey and make it interesting to someone like me who's played and watched and been a part of hockey his entire life. You well, because I knew I needed to. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to write hockey for dummies because it's already been written. Um, I, I do think, I, I know I've heard some good feedback from people that have, uh, have are new to the sport or new to the game that know the basics and, and everything else and, and then were able to use the book to kind of expand on that or, or think about some concepts in, in, in different ways. So from that aspect, I think it does accomplish it. But I mean, I, you know, I, I, I essentially knew what my audience is and, and what they expect out of it. And I think they expect some chuckles and they expect some, some sort of off-kilter insight. And they expect me to go and pester people that are exponentially smarter than I am about some of the concepts in the game uh, that we all love. So, you know, in, in writing it, that's, that's kind of the direction I wanted to take it, and uh, my publisher, Triumph, was cool with it. And uh, it turned out uh, turned out really well. It def- definitely syncs up with my sensibilities, but also kind of accomplishes what, what me and the publisher wanted to accomplish insofar as the style of book that it is. How did, uh, how did the project come about? What was sort of the origin about it? Why uh, this book, and why now? Well, I've been I've been approached a couple times through the years about doing sort of like a puck daddy guide to the NHL by by different agents and different publishers, and I, I don't know it, it it never really um it really clicked to me how to do it. Um, you know, if I was going to write something, it'd be more in the vein I think of my my first book, which was uh, called Blow Pucks and Tents and Beer. It was like a hundred and one right, short yeah. essay. Oh, we love that book. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking I'm thinking if I ever wrote another one, it'd be more like that. But then Triumph put out a book called Take Your Eye Off the Ball, which is about football, uh, written by Pat Kerwin. And, uh, and you know, I when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is this makes sense now. It was, re- it was very, you know, pinpointed on certain aspects of the game. As an NFL fan, I learned some stuff. Um, I liked the whole kind of pulling out subjects and putting them into sidebars that appealed to me from, like, a design perspective. So once I saw that, you know, I was, I was really excited to work with Triumphs to kind of craft a, a, a hockey book within that uh, that series and uh and the, the finished product i think kind of it, it kind of gave me the structure the, the structure to do what i wanted to do um with a hockey book but wasn't really sure how to go about doing it yeah i absolutely love the sidebars that you mentioned and uh i love the relentlessness of the picture of you in the sidebars <laughs> There's, there's like 100, nah, 100 maybe is the exaggeration, 30, 40 sidebars in the book, and everyone is the same picture of Greg smiling. Yeah, it's this goofy, goofy <laughs> smiling picture. That, that, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, uh, compliment that was given to me, because I don't know, I mean, I, I think I've had like an, a, a troop mix sort of chubby face, and maybe you want to punch it, or maybe you don't. And uh, somebody said that whenever they saw my face in the book, it reminded me, it reminded them of when Dad used to pick you up from school. Like okay, I could if, if we're going that warm and fuzzy with it, then I can get down with that. <laughs> uh, you know what is uh, is a really good thing about this book and the timing of it is you had a chance to write a little bit in here about advanced stats, and it's it's something that is still in the infancy of uh, its evolution in hockey and people's adaption of it and understanding of it. 
I know um, in Bob McKenzie, who wrote a blurb uh, for the book on the back in his book last year, he also uh, took some time to do a chapter about it. Uh, and you did a really good job. Let me find out. Fancy Stats, Chapter 12, I believe it is, uh, in the book, if you have one or are interested in one. Uh, tell me about that chapter and uh, what you really wanted to uh, make sure you could get people to understand about uh, Fancy Stats and its evolution in the game. Well, much much like uh, many of Eminem's best singles were added to the album late, <laughs> that was mm. probably one of the last chapters that I wrote for the book. Uh, you know, me and my editor kind of put our heads together, like, what's missing? And, and you know, a chapter on analytics was kind of a glaring uh, hole in, in what we had crafted. So, you know, I, I wanted to kind of spell out some of the more basic things about puck possession, about which which stats the the uh, smarty pants analysts think are important, which ones aren't, and uh, and what you can tell from different stats, be it zone starts or things like that, and and like you know kind of paint a picture on where the analytics debate is because the interesting thing about it is, and the NHL as I wrote about this week on Puck Daddy is sort of finding this out the hard way yeah, is that there is it. no consensus on what's important and what's not. And, you know, the NHL came out with their own advanced stats site, and to the, the moment they released it, you had analytics guys saying the stuff that you have on this site has already been dispelled as not being as important as this other thing. So it really gave me a chance to kind of do a snapshot of, of where analytics are um, in 2015 and, and kind of where they're going and, and also delve into the different uh, styles of kung fu that these uh, um, fancy stats guys kind of practice. Yeah, I read the the piece this week on Puck Daddy about the stats company that they're using and the uh, mistakes that have been made and the discrepancies <laughs> yeah. so, on NHL.com. So did, so, did the, so, did, so did the NHL, and they are super pissed at me. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh, well, that's ridiculous because it's not like you made the mistakes. Uh, they should be super pissed at – I mean, what a just colossal bust. I mean – Oh my god! If you haven't read this yet on Puck Daddy, make sure you do it. I, don't, I was so kind of like, ugh, kind of knocked back by the piece a bit that I went and then listened to the podcast too and listened to you and Jeff uh, talk about the piece as well. Um, I think it was Jeff that was there that day. I'm sure it was. Um, and uh, man, I just can't believe that a league like. It's a classic case of like, okay, we'll do something, and then kind of apparently just not paying attention to what was done. Like, <laughs> yeah, what happened? No, there? It, it it is, and, and it's you know they they didn't when they built that advanced stats site with their partnership with SAP, um, which is essentially a, a data collection partnership, uh, and then the NHL made the call on on a lot of the content. You know, they, they didn't reach out to the staff community and say, hey, what's important and what's yeah, not. And, and at the very not? least, <laughs> they should have done that more just to create those partnerships and just to create those those relationships. Because in the moment that you put out something like this, you know you're going to open yourself up to a tidal wave of criticism. And and they did, uh, from changing the names of Corsi and Fenwick to, to more standardized stuff to everything else that, that they did on that site. And it became very adversarial, and as we wrote about in the story, you know, when you create that adversarial relationship, you open yourself up to, you know, attacks on, on and, 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 you know, scrutiny on everything that you do. And unfortunately for the NHL, they did so many bad things that uh, the analytics community looks 
brilliant in comparison. Including because, like you know their stat, their stat sites are, are are on point in advance and using good good data, and the NHL's was until this week using bad data. Like and, and use an example of them actually charting a stat from the wrong end of the rink. Yeah, so the, one of the things that they that they did was uh, you know zone starts. For those who don't know, it's, it's where a play ends and where it begins. Basically, where's the face off taking place? What what zone is the whistle blown? You know, uh, kind of giving you a sense of usage of, of players. So the best example I always use is that when Tory Crude came up with the Buffalo Bruins, with the Buffalo, with the Boston Bruins, rather, um, the Buffalo in my mind because I'm talking to you, uh, with the Boston Bruins, the uh, um, you know Claude, Claude Julien used them in the offensive zone. Uh, more often than not, uh, when there was a face-off there, right. because of his offensive prowess, but also because he can be a defensive liability, especially as a younger player. So that's the kind of thing that this stat tracks. And when the NHL was tracking it, there were a few arenas where the statisticians and the stat trackers were uh, seated on the opposite end of the ring from where they normally are. And because the input data for this stat isn't, offensive zone, neutral zone, defensive zone, but it's an XY axis, uh, they were basically switching the data. So, you know, the, mm. the funny part is that, like, when I wrote about this, I had a few advanced stats guys that run their sites uh, message me and say, we were cognizant of this. Like, the, the, the numbers we were getting back when we were scraping the numbers from game reports would indicate that this, this was happening and it was pretty obvious it was happening. And that the NHL didn't notice it shows how completely obtuse and and uh, and, and sort of um, uh, you know sloppy uh, their their work has been on tabulating those numbers. Jeez, and then they're mad at you. <laughs> well, they're mad. They're mad. They're mad at me because you know, like the hook to the story is obviously the anger from Travis Yost and and those in the analytics community about the way that the NHL bungled this thing because they. They genuinely love these stats. They genuinely love the idea that hockey can be smarter. And the idea that the NHL not only, you know, takes this thing and renames the stats and does all the things they've done, but then bungles it was just a, just a giant insult. I mean, they're just like, why, why even attempt it? Um, but, of course, you know, you have to write that part of the story. But then I called the NHL. I spoke to their, their director of digital. Got good balance. But, I mean... When the thrust of the story is criticism, that's really all the NHL is going to see. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the, the story is good and balanced, and it shows that they're willing to accept some cr- constructive criticism. But there was definitely some pushback on that piece when it was released. Well, wow, that's fascinating. You know, advanced stats is tricky, I think, especially in hockey, because, as you said, it is sort of evolving um, and uh, kind of adjusting on the fly and... Um, well, yeah, and like and like I talk about in in the book, the problem right now with advanced stats, or really any stat in hockey, is the information that you put out is only as good as the information you get in, and we're still talking about humans tabulating hits and tabulating shots and and, and tracking zone time and and everything else, um, and if we ever get to the point where they they can standardize that that puck, that puck tracking and player tracking technology that we saw in the Columbus All-Star game, then, you know, these numbers are, are going to be much more accurate, and they're also going to be, uh, there's going to be much more of a, a variety of them than what we have now. So that's, everybody, even the, the NHL is just waiting to see if we can get to a point where we can put sensors inside the puck and really start to break down what happens on plays 
Um, and then we can get into things like, you know, the quality of shots that goalies faces and things like that. <clears throat> you know, my only fear about advanced stats, the only thing that sort of turns me off about it is is that it gets just a little out of control on the internet, and it kind of like turns talking about this sport into a nightmare. I mean, baseball, I think, has had the biggest problem with this. Is like, I would, I almost never engage with anyone in a baseball discussion anymore because it just gets so nerdy that it's so beyond what, like, the enjoyment for me of watching the game and enjoying the game. Like, mm-hmm. like with the Cy Young example. The other day in the National League, you know, it was my opinion that they had three great candidates uh, that Arietta won the award because he pitched his best at the end. And I thought Granke maybe had the best year from April um, to October, you know, if you balance it out. And um, I kind of tweeted a couple of these opinions and the feedback I got back was just like, well, in the one ballpark, uh, home runs travel at this rate and at Dodger Stadium at this rate. It's just like, uh, all right, never mind. Okay, good for you. <laughs> I, always, I always thought the Cy Young just went to the guy with the best winning percentage from the worst team that also has a respectable ERA. It seemed <laughs> like that was the formula for, for a long time. Um, but, you know, the, the, the stats the stats debate in hockey is sort of two-pronged. I mean, on the one hand, you have this adversarial relationship between the, the analytics community and the traditional media, which really does, you know, dial the clock back to about 2006 or seven for me, because it's very much the same arguments I used to have as a blogger. I mean, it's, it's dismissing this new thing because it makes our work harder and, uh, and because... You know, you come off as, as analyzing the game in a different way, and in some ways, in some cases, you make you're smarter than us. Uh, then we don't like you, and and so I've seen a lot of echoes in the conversations that, in some cases, I still have with mainstream media guys about blogging. The analytics people have with them about analytics. But your point is a good one, which is that I I, I hate the word the eye test because then it sounds like you're almost you know. You're denying science, you know, and, uh, and and denying that these stats are valid. They're extraordinarily valid. But a sense, uh, what I'll always come back to is this. I think that advanced stats inform analysis. I think in some cases they can be predictive. I think in a lot of cases um, they lack context. And, and I certainly think that in a sport where uh, a group of, of 10 guys are uh, dancing around on Ginzu blades on a frozen slick surface, chasing a rubber bouncy thing. Like the, the idea that any of this can be predictive or that conditions will repeat from game to game has always seemed a little outlandish to me. I mean, it, it is essentially a, a game where a bad bounce, quote unquote, can determine whether or not a goal is, is scored or not. And, and there's simply no way to quantify that. You also wrote in the book, uh, to kind of move down from advanced stats a little bit, because this is not a book about advanced stats, just a chapter about it. Uh, you wrote a pretty cool chapter about equipment and uh, how players uh, choose their equipment, and I thought it was a really fascinating chapter, because I've always found hockey players, and I've known, uh, especially forwards, to be sort of falling into one categories, kind of like guys can be traditionally like boob or buck guys. I think hockey players can be uh, traditionally skates or stick guys. And you have some guys who just are obsessed with their skates, how they're laced, how uh, they fit, um, 
how they're dried, how they're uh, what they do with them when they take them off, when they put them on. And you have guys who are that way about their sticks, uh, how they're curved, how they're um, taped, uh, how they're cut, all those kinds of things. And you did a good job in the book about talking about the equipment and uh, and writing about it. Did you learn anything that you thought was pretty cool anecdotally when you were preparing that chapter? Oh, I learned a ton. I mean, you know, in, in full disclosure, like, I, I didn't really play a lot growing up. I, I just didn't. I didn't have a, a friend group to play a lot of ice hockey. I played, I played street hockey, uh, you know, and I played floor hockey growing up in Jersey, but I was never really an ice hockey player, uh, compounded by the fact that I'm a you know, horrible skater. So that was a chapter that I was really excited to write because I felt like I was approaching it from a, from a perspective where a, a, lot of, a lot of fans come from, which is maybe not understanding, you know, flex point, maybe not understanding how important the, the, the weight of the stick is versus, uh, you know, what, what the player is trying to accomplish with it, what kind of shot he has. I mean, like the, the weight of the stick versus the weight of Silk Castle shoots, for example, um, is a relationship that doesn't get touched on. And, and you know, that whole chapter is, is sort of was, a, was an interesting one to write as an American hockey fan because I feel like in Canada, because of the high participation rate for kids who play hockey when they're growing up, it's sort of you can, you can talk about equipment in maybe more obvious ways than you do in the States. Like, when do you ever hear... Outside of maybe a comment or two from Eddie Olchek on a on a broadcast, um, talk about the kind of skates guys wear, or talk about the way that the stick is taped. Yeah, not um, yeah. you never do. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was I think I think it was a, a cool chapter to write only because that's a part of the game that doesn't get touched on because I think there's a there's a notion from a lot of the hockey media that the moment that you deep dive into the gear. Uh, people are just going to lose interest, which is a weird thing to say because when you think about baseball and, and, and bat selection and when you think about uh, a sport like golf, for example, and, and how completely gear-obsessed golf coverage is, um, it's weird that hockey kind of, despite being a, a sport in which there's like you know 20-some-odd pieces of gear on every guy, doesn't get the same level of scrutiny. Yeah, and it's not like guys are just using Sherwood 5030s anymore either. Uh, and I think it's a really good opportunity for the analysts that are standing right there uh, in between glass, just so popular now. Uh, especially the former players like the Sabres broadcasts. You know, Rob Ray is standing right down there and has such a great uh, view of the guys coming in and off of the bench and would know about uh, the differences between the sticks. And there's a lot of opportunities, especially. You know, you might be watching a play on the power play and a guy winds up for a one-timer and his stick sheds in to a thousand pieces. That's a great opportunity when they're going through that to talk a little bit about what kind of stick that guy uses and, and why right. he might and use then, that and then on top of it's that, never I mean, there. Like, those, mo- those moments when uh, a guy is trying to bust a slump by changing his stick or going to something that's right. got a different flex pointer or is a slightly heavier stick maybe and... Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I've got that, that part in the book about Mike Green, the infamous story about how uh, he had a certain kind of stick, he stopped making it, and then uh, he scores, like, an historic uh, a goal or point during one of his big production seasons. The Hall of Fame wants the stick, and, and he, like, begrudgingly gives it to them and then needs to get it back <laughs> because he was playing so poorly. Like, um, it's, it's that's the only time that we ever hear uh, stories about gear is that kind of thing. Or obviously, when we look at goalies and, and complain about how big the pads are. Like other than that, the right. gear is sort of 
pushed over in a corner when it comes to coverage. And your your response of like I don't you know about how like this perception from the American media that people don't care. You know, growing up, I worked uh, in a pro shop, uh, and I also have played men's hockey since I graduated <laughs> high school and played my last meaningful hockey game. Uh, and the guys you play with, they're obsessed with their sticks. You know, yeah. they love getting a cool stick, and uh, and there's thousands of them in the hockey shops if you go in now. All the different one pieces, and they spend. Uh, two hundred bucks a stick, so it's not like they're buying them every other week anymore either. So I, I don't know. I think that that's a really, uh, I think you made a great point um, that it should be talked about more, and I really enjoyed that chapter. Cool. Uh, last year when we had uh, Bob McKenzie on for his book, uh, one thing I told him I really liked about it uh, was it it read well in the in the toilet. You know, <laughs> you, you could. It's really you know. 14, 15 different books in there, uh, short books that you can pick up and read, different spots, whatever. And your book is is great that way and uh, the same way as well, where it's not an ongoing narrative necessarily. You can uh, read the chapters uh, out of order. You know, uh, you can read it more like you might listen to a CD, uh, and I think it, it works uh, really good that way. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, the the first book I wrote, like we talked about, was was a hundred and one short essay right, very about similar. sports ideas yeah. and sports history, and and to this day, I still think it's the best reviewed uh, bathroom book in the history of sports journalism, only because no one would ever challenge that claim. Right. Uh, this one, this one's sort of in the same vein. I mean, it, it's it, you know, it comes back to what's always been the the, the the gist of the blog and the podcast, which is you know, writing writing something that I know I would want to read if I was stuck in an office job, you know, be, doing a podcast that I know that as a hockey fan I'd want to listen to. You know, it, it's the same sort of thing. Like, I wanted to write a book that uh, that I would consume the exact way you're talking about, which is to not have to remember what happened in the previous chapter, but then just kind of pick and choose and forge forward and and, uh, and be able to enjoy every chapter on their own. And, and you could even sit down and just read the sidebars. I mean, they... They, they are related to the subject within the chapters, but they kind of tell their own stories, too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, you know, it's, it's such a nice compliment to hear people talk about how they read the book on a plane and, you know, picked it up and put it down a, a couple times during it and, and, and was able to enjoy it that way versus having to binge it, you know? Yeah. Uh, the book, like we've been talking about, it's called Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look. It's by the Puck Daddy, Greg Wachinski. There's a forward in there by Jeremy Roenick. You can find the book uh, in bookstores, obviously, wherever books, physical books are sold. You can also get it in traditional online places like Amazon. And you can also uh, get the ebook version. I saw it on iTunes uh, or e-book, uh, Apple Books, climbing the charts there. And uh, Oh, sweet. Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, the, it's, it's been fun to see the, the Kindle sales. I actually think for whatever reason... My physical book sales in the U.S. are really high, uh, and, and Kindle sales are too. But in Canada, like the digital, the digital sales of the book in Canada are uh, are like really off the charts compared to the physical book. And it makes you think of like our friends in the north being this, you know, technological super race or something, where <laughs> they all carry around Kindles and stuff, and we are still reading like. Uh, uh, dead trees. It's very odd. Yeah, I always look on my iPad before to check, and I noticed. Uh... Because of the white of the ice in your cover, it really sticks out when you load the books. Oh yeah, yeah, and it caught <laughs> it caught my eye right away. So it's definitely on. Well, there. it's it's, yeah, it's the book's been out since November first, and it's been the number one selling hockey book on Amazon since then. And I can't 
I can't thank people enough who read it and, and supported it for that. It's, it's, you know, really done well. And, uh, you know, like I said to everybody, it's like this one sells and let me do another one. And, 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 and I got, uh, a lot of different ideas on, on where to take the next one. And hopefully we get a chance to do one, but it's, it's super cool that you guys have, have bought it and supported it. And, and, and as maybe you've seen on Twitter or other places, like if by chance I'm ever, within a geographic vicinity and you have the book and I have a Sharpie, uh, I will not just write a, a pithy comment, but uh, I, I do an original, uh, beautiful, hockey-centric joke <laughs> in every, co- every copy of the book. I did, I did a, a upwards of 45 of them last night at Foley's in New York for a book signing. And uh, net, net, like snowflakes, no two are alike. Well, if you want more information about the book, you can, uh, like Greg said, follow him on Twitter. He's at Wyshynski. Uh, you can also go to the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo, and I'm sure they've talked about it on the podcast, Merrick versus Wyshynski, uh, which is uh, daily during the season. Uh, before I let you go, real quick, two things you can answer them as quickly as you'd like. One, uh, positive direction with the All-Star format announced this week. You like it, don't like it. Any thoughts? Well, I'm, I'll miss the fantasy draft because I thought it was, you know, drunken fun. And, yes. uh, and, uh, you know, anytime that you can get the players off script and into, uh, awkward situations, I think it's always interesting for the fans and obviously interesting for our blog, but they, they, the, to a man, they didn't like it. I mean, it, it made them have to be funny. These guys aren't funny. And then the players told me that they actually didn't like the fact that somebody had to go last, um, despite the fact that they're an all-star. So, I think they, they'll enjoy the weekend more without it. And then the three-on-three three was a necessary change because I think we had 26 or 28 goals last year in the All-Star game. It was unwatchable. It was just a terrible game. And if the, the gist of this thing is to put the skill of, of these players on display and, and try to create an entertaining product that people are going to want to clear out time on a Sunday afternoon to watch, I think I think three-on-three three is the way to go. And I also like the idea of getting it back to a geographic rivalry-type deal where it's East versus West, it's Central versus Pacific. I mean, because not only do you have a chance to have these divisions kind of prove who's got the best and, and, uh, and, and, and the hardest schedule and the hardest drink for the Cup, but then you also have genuine rivals uh, lining up next to each other on some of these teams, which is always fun, too. I mean, like, you know, we assume it's going to be Getzlaff and Perry, but what if it's like uh, Perry and Kopitar on that team? Who knows? All right. All right, last thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on Eichel so far? He's great. I mean, I, I talked to Joe Yurden on the podcast the other day, you know, Buffalo yeah. Super, Super Reporter for NHL.com, and, and, and uh, we got into it a little bit as far as, I mean, we didn't do, like, fight, but, like, we got, we got into the idea, the idea that uh, Jack's kind of still maturing as a, as a consistent player. Um, part of that, I'm sure, is the fact that, that Kane was injured, and, and if there had been a, a full, you know, month and a half with Kane on his line, it would have been really maybe a different story, but it's it sort of fits and spurts right now for him offensively. You know, two or three games where he looks great, then he goes quiet for a little bit and then comes back again. And I think that's that's just, that's symptomatic of being a, a young, you know, a teenage, well, a teenage, but like a, a young player in the National Hockey League. And uh, and I think that'll come around. But, I mean, he's he looks great. Um, that's, uh, you know, if you, if you win, if he ends up winning the Calder, that play where he stole the puck, and then shot the puck and scored the goal will be a hell of a calling card. It was one of right. the, still one of the more brilliant plays I've seen this year. Yeah, and you know one thing I noticed about him, and I watched him a lot last year as I'm a big college hockey guy, 
and I watched him a lot, and I watched him in person in the tournament because he played. They played Yale in the first game, and got to see him really up close there. But one thing he does so well is he changes speeds on the rush uh, really well to buy himself space and to catch defensemen flat-footed. Um, I, I noticed it last night, um, it, but it seems like the timing of it um, is a little off too. Sometimes. The, uh, when he he gets by, he's a little too close to the goal. He doesn't have anything yet. But man, he's really great at changing speeds um, and confusing defensemen with that and deception that way. It's also seemed like he's played a lot better at home. Uh, it's a little bit more comfort for him. I think almost all of his goals are at home. I think he only has mm-hmm. one or two, or two goals on yeah, the road. Yeah, thank you. Right. Yeah. No, it's, he's he's a, he's a brilliantly talented player, and you can see the hands are there, and you can see the shots there, and you know the, the only the only criticism that that it has for him right now is the consistency of hitting the, hitting the score sheet. And then, um, you know, the, some of the playmaking isn't there quite yet. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know where the assists are at this point, but I know earlier in the season, there was a pretty significant imbalance between the goal scoring and, and, uh, and setting up guys. But again, yeah, that could all got be a few. Case of mm-hmm. losing, losing his best trigger man injury pretty early in the season. Right. And they were, uh, last night, that uh, was Kane's first game back and he was with Reinhardt and Eichel. And, you know, Reinhardt is almost just as important as Eichel, in my opinion, to the long term. Uh, viability of the Sabres and, and uh, Reinhardt got a goal and they looked really good together and it's definitely I think uh, threesome that if I was uh, Bilesma I'd try to keep them together for as long as possible and and uh, let the two young guys play with them but one last time the book is called Take Your Eye Off the Puck How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look uh, by the Puck Daddy Greg Wyshynski anything else you want to mention about uh, promotion that I didn't any dates or anything? <laughs> no, I think like we that? I think we nailed it. I think I think it's good. And like I said, I'm I'm real proud of it and uh I'm happy that everybody seems to dig it. Uh you never know <laughs> when you put in, you know, months and months and months of late nights, uh, uh you know, pounding the keyboard, drinking whiskey right. to uh, get a book in shape and, and then lo and behold it comes out and then the reception's been as good as it's been. So it's it's again, it's it's a book that I would enjoy reading um myself. And uh, and I, I really appreciate everybody uh, that's picked it up so far. All right, thanks for the time, Greg. Good luck with it, and uh, we'll keep promoting it here on our end. Thank you so much. You got you got anytime, man. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank our guests. For being on the podcast today, a strange podcast that featured periscoping yeah. and interviews spaced out over a strange amount of time and it being listened to before and after Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners of the sportscasters. We're right. very thankful for you and shocked you exist. <laughs> I don't think we <laughs> dreamed when we started this there would be an actual thing called listeners of the sportscasters, but... Clearly, because we see you on email and yeah, it's Twitter. Weird. It's really weird. That you do exist, and you're spread out all over the country. Tell a friend, if for nothing other than our guests. Thank you, though. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Have a bite of turkey on us. <laughs> um, you can find this podcast, which we promote horribly, which is another reason why we're shocked there are listeners, right. at www.sports-casters.com. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's got back to you about that. No yet. one has about okay. the website. If there's no. any value to the website, let me know because I mean, maybe we'll do something like a SoundCloud. Or- I think someone did tweet me saying they do often um, use the direct link 
and they didn't know if that would be a well, I think it would have to, the I, website. I, I think the idea would still be that we would host the files, but like we wouldn't have to update a so website. So there would still be a direct link. Yeah, I believe. I think that would be the idea. That was the only feedback I got. Someone asked me about that. Yeah. Um, you can find it on www.sports-casters.com. You can email Don about that at thesportscasters at gmail.com. You can also uh, tweet us at sports underscore casters. We're getting ready to start a new season. Um, and I'd love to hear what you want to be a part of season six. I know kind of having seasons is somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. Well, we do tend to take a lot of time off come December. But we January, always, you so. know, end in December and pick it back up during the NFL playoffs in January. Right. Um, and we're going to do that again. And I have a couple of ideas I haven't talked to you about yet. But one is the Don Books the Guest show. Oh, no. Don has never booked a single guest. <laughs> and I was thinking it would be fun in season six. I wouldn't do no- I would do nothing. Wow. Don would have access to our email account. Okay. He could sign in there and look around or whatever. There's some stuff saved. He could have access to our Twitter. We have people he could DM. But that would, the only help he would have from me, and he'd have to book a show of two guests. <laughs> That's funny. So we might do that. We did talk about six. making – I mean this Could is kind of off-the-air stuff, but we did talk about making a list of our guests we would never dream would come on and then maybe seeing going what could go, going come from it. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. All right. One last thing for me this week. Uh, NH- the NHL trying to be more like football maybe, I guess, and <laughs> not picking up on the fact that everyone hates it, uh, decided to implement instant replay. Well, challenges more specifically. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I shouldn't yeah. say instant replay. They right? have, they have goal replays, replay. Yeah. Right. But challenges um, that can be done on goalie interference calls. Uh, is it goal calls or those are all automatic, right? Goal or no goal situations? I think every goal is sort of reviewed by But Toronto. what if it's like under the goalie? Do they just Toronto? That's not a challenge. That's a Toronto, Toronto thing. thing. Okay, yeah. right. So it's it's mainly which is for, really convoluted in itself that there's these different levels of how right. things are. So it's mainly for goalie interference and offsides that result in a goal, which is bizarre because like you would think maybe if it resulted in a goal like on the rush, but the Sabers now have been the victim of that three times. And granted, every single time it was the right call, the guy was offside, and two times it cost them the game. Right, I think both At least times. I think both times they made it two-two. Right, with a goal that was disallowed late. Both home Third games, period, I think, home too. games, opening night against Ottawa and the other night against Dallas. Right, crowds going nuts. You think you're tied game, and all of a sudden you got to wait. Boy, long. does that suck the wind out of the building. Oh yeah, and then no goal. So now the crowd's booing instead of cheering. And you know what? I'm all for getting things right. Um, I'm glad there's instant replay for. I don't know if a kick the goalie goes through getting the knocked out. I think goalie sure. interference is a yeah. Great goalie one. interference is a good one because they get that wrong a lot too. Like, yeah. can they? I don't know the rule well enough. If they call goalie interference, can they challenge yes. that? Okay, yeah, perfect then. Because a lot of times they call goalie interference when his own player bumps into him, something like that. So that's fine. The NHL since forever has wanted to increase scoring and they implemented a rule that decreases scoring and breaks up the game. Like I said, I'm all for getting things right, but it just it feels weird. Um, it's not being very well received. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the thought was because people, even in the NFL, maybe replay or instant replay or coaches' challenges aren't so bad in the NFL. Maybe the biggest gripe is even after a challenge, sometimes we're confused at what's a catch and we don't have it right and whatever. 
But people don't like it. I mean, football has enough breaks in it as it is. You see a challenge flag, it's like, oh, all right. I mean, I guess you get up and go to the bathroom or something at that point because it's going to be three minutes. I don't know why hockey decided that it was such a big deal. And the one thing that you said to me, and I've heard other places too, as soon as we talked about this today, was how many goals in history would have been disallowed? Like the Sabres, maybe they're more on the unlucky side, but still three goals disallowed through 20 games. Like what does that mean historically? How many goals would have been called off sides? And just what does it affect? Like maybe if it's on a rush and they score directly as they came into the zone, but the first goal disallowed uh, was a Kane goal. Uh, it was a long Evander time back Kane. to the yeah, offsides, yeah. yeah. Right. So it was way before the play. It had nothing to do with the play. It's almost like holding in football that's way away from the play. It's like, you know, maybe eat the flag on that one. The biggest problem is, and maybe you said this, is that this rule only can take away goals. Yes. It will never add right. a goal. And, and the NHL doesn't need less goals. Right. And referees are going to do one of two things, like I think just by human nature. One – they're going to err on the side of letting plays go, which isn't good. Or they're going to blow everything off sides because if they get that wrong, then they don't know if the team was going to score a goal. But they don't want their calls overturned necessarily either. They don't, you don't want to be the guy that made a lot of mistakes and had all his like, – because the last one in the game, whatever it was, two three nights ago for the Sabres, was bad. I mean, it was way off sides, like in the replay. It's a tough call on the linesman, but – now they're under a microscope, and I, I, I just don't know. I am not old school, leave it up to the refs guy, but this one just seems a little strange to me. All right, one last thing for me today as we head into Thanksgiving break. A couple weeks ago, Eddie Trunk uh, was on the podcast. and It was really cool to have Eddie on. We had, had obviously had uh, Jim Florentine from that Metal Show on before, and it was fun to have uh, Eddie on who was promoting – a That Metal Show live appearance in Buffalo and also one in Syracuse. And um, I thought about it and thought about it. I knew I was going to go, uh, but I did email Eddie and ask if, uh, in exchange for this, I would be put on the list. Okay. Of. And uh, he was very nice enough to put me on the list. Super nice. I thanked him after. He wrote back, uh, said, thank me for the support. Said he enjoyed doing the show. Uh, so huge thanks to Eddie Trunk. Uh, that metal show obviously airs on VH1 Classic. I think you watch it on like the VH1 app, and they re-air. I mean, VH1 Classic has like six shows, so I mean, <laughs> right? It comes around for re-air all the time. Uh, but they also do these live shows, and it was really fun. And this is sort of the structure. And uh, Eddie talked about it when he was on. Uh, he started off the night after a couple local performers, one who got heckled relentlessly. Yeah, you showed me... He got beat up bad. You showed me a clip that you took on your phone there, and it looked like a rowdy crowd. It was. So if you were not, and they you were beat, not on your A game... Beat the one guy up bad. And not only what I think as a comedian you have to be on your A game, you have to be that type of comedian. Like, I think Mike Birbiglia is a hilarious comedian, but he would not be the... Wouldn't translate to the crowd. No, maybe like a Brian Regan. I mean, he might because he's real upbeat, but it seemed like a bar, rowdy, rock concert crowd. So... Eddie Trunk went first. He told told some stories. He told a story about Ace Freely from Kiss picking him up, them getting drunk and going bowling, and Ace Freely throwing balls overhand <laughs> down the alleys. Um, uh, he told some stories about how the show got started and him accidentally sending a video clip to the head of VH1 of Jim Florentine taking an upper decker 
in a hotel room. Or maybe it was Jameson who took the upper decker. Right. Uh, but that, that's their audition clip, essentially. Yeah, that was their audition clip. <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, and how that almost killed the show. Uh, then Jameson does his comedy next. And it'd be fun to talk to Jameson in a few weeks here on the show. Uh, and he basically does a lot of rock humor. Mm-hmm. He talks a lot about like getting into Viking metal and then meeting the band. And they all have iPads and... He wondered if they took the Viking ship to the Apple Store or what happened. <laughs> okay. Just like stuff like that. He said he really likes Journey, especially since the Asian guy, because he loves their version of Don't Stop Bereaving. Okay. <laughs> you know, instead of believing. Gotcha. Asian guy. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And uh, so he didn't have. Did the crowd eat that up? Like oh, they that loved stuff? It. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 ACDC jokes. I mean, just he has it all. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Perfect crowd for that. Right. So and then Florentine came out and he did about twenty to thirty minutes and man did he kill. Yeah. I've never heard I've never heard him. I heard the telemarketer CDs and I've heard him on like appearances on Opie and Anthony and stuff, but I'll have to listen to his album. He's working on a new special right now. And there's a lot of stuff. I had seen him a year before. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it was no no crossover material. Cool. It's all new stuff. He talked about how he gets real annoyed with people asking him where he's from in New Jersey. And he's like, and then I really blow their minds because I don't like the local sports teams. <laughs> and he said he gets really annoyed when people ask him how he became a Dolphins fan because he's from New Jersey. And I guess the story is he was a big damn Reno fan, so that's how he became a Dolphins fan. Um, but he said something about, well, he said, so one time I told this guy that I have a pet. I had a, a toy dolphin, and I thought it looked really cool. So I poked a hole in the behind of it, and I fucked it, and it felt really good. So I became a Dolphins fan. Mm. So it was hilarious, and he killed. He talked about his divorce, and he got really vicious about his divorce, which was great. <laughs> I wonder how careful they – I mean, these guys must know, but I wonder how careful they might have to be about that type of thing, divorce Well, I think stuff. I know because he was on Opie and Jimmy a few yeah. times around when it happened, and he was really, really quiet. Oh, okay. And he clammed up when they talk about it. And I think because it was still in litigation. I want to say the puppet guy. Now it's over. Or so. maybe Brian Regan or maybe both of them had to deal with divorces too. And that's – like I think their gag was that's why they're on tour still is because they got divorced. Right. Well, Jim, a lot of it is about how good his prenup was oh. and how he gets to keep his house. <laughs> nice. And uh, his, his son plays drums and he said he moved the drums into the living room. And um, so him and his son can work on drums right in the living room. And he said, and he knows one day he's going to meet a new girl and she's going to move in. And the first thing he's going to say when she says, oh, the drums are in the living room, he's going to say, yep, and they're grandfathered in, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so he's really, really great, really funny. Then they all came out and did a Q&A, which was a disaster. Um, people just shouting. Someone walking around with a microphone. Really drunk people yeah, asking completely unintelligible questions. Uh, and then they ended it with the stump the trunk bit, which was fun. Uh, my friend, my guest, tried to stump the trunk and did stump him. Uh, it was a hilarious sequence with Jim Florentine just looking at him in disgust. <laughs> That's true. He's got a uh, video of it, yeah. Oh, man, was it fun. It's a great show. And um, if you missed it this time, um, and if you're in this area, it's coming to Rochester just after the new year. Um, I think, what did I say? I mentioned it in the book club update. Uh, it's the 3rd of January. In 2016, they're going to be in Rochester, so it's going to be in this area again. And you can go to jimflorentine.com, uh, donjameson.com, and eddietrunk.com for other dates 
Uh, Florentine's going to be in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, he's also got some shows coming up, uh, like solo comedy shows in Boca Raton. Uh, so find all their dates. They've been really good to us. Uh, and one last, last thing. Uh, the song we're going out today, one of my all-time favorite artists, uh, first in the Matthew Good band, now solo Matthew Good. He has a new album out. It's called Chaotic Neutral. And we're going to play the track that I've kind of gravitated to the most so far. Said about, talking about. 